You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Good morning. How are you all doing? You're good? Yeah? Good. Good to see you all. Um, my name is Anna van der Leij. I'm one of the pe- te- uh, teachers on the teaching team. Um, we're happy to fill in for Paul as he's a b- on a bit of a furlough, although I'm also happy to see him back next week. And we're doing the series on the I Am statements of Jesus. We've been doing them for the last couple of weeks, and today is the final one. And Jesus in the book of John is giving us a, cer- a few statements of who he is, um, and he refers to God, who in uh, the time with Moses already revealed himself, saying, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. And by um, giving these statements, Jesus is kind of referring to that, saying, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. Last week, uh, Leonard spoke, I am the resurrection and the life. And today we're doing the last one. I am the way, the truth and the life. I told a friend I was going to do this statement, and um, she told me the funny story that she was on a work trip with a colleague, and they were going into town for a little bit, doing a little bit of sightseeing, and um, there was a church, big, a big church there, and it said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think the colleague didn't really know a lot about Christianity, because he said, you've got to be a pretty arrogant architect to put that on your own building. Well, to, put, to make Jesus look arrogant, well, he is God. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's quite a statement to make, and I'm excited to share, it about, to share about that with you today. Um, so the statement we're reading is in John 14, and we're at the Last Supper, and Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. And as we saw already last week, uh, the, the tension between Jesus on the one hand and the Pharisees of the law, on the other hand, is, is growing and it's coming to the boiling point. It's almost the, the, the Pharisees are ready to kill Jesus. They're done with it. And Jesus knows that. He knows this is it. He knows he's about to die. He knows now it's going to happen. And the, the few hours he has left with his disciples um, at the Last Supper are the last moments he has with them. So John 14, 15, 16... You read these things that Jesus wants to share with them before he goes. The last things that are important. um, The last things he wants to make sure they know before he goes. But also, he wants to prepare them and warn them that they know what's going to happen. And that they will understand what's going to happen. So he tries to kind of, he tells them um, someone is going to betray him. One of them. It shocks them. He tells Peter he's going to deny him. He tells them he's going to go away, and they don't know where, he, they don't know where he's going, um, and he, they can't come with him. So you can understand these disciples, they're a little afraid, they're worried. And then in John 14, as we're going to read, Jesus kind of tries to reassure them and comfort them. So let's read that part in John 14, 1 for 7. You can read on the screen, or you can read along if you want to. Jesus tells his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you to go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way that you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in his ministry, there have been quite a few times where Jesus has kind of spoken in riddles about his identity. He's not always been very clear about who he was. He sometimes felt it wasn't, the time wasn't right to share who he was, who his real identity was. Well, not here anymore. This is crystal clear. I am the only way to the Father. No one else. It's me. Only through me. And that's the most exclusive statement that Jesus makes here. And at the same time, it's the most inclusive statement. Because Jesus here is answering that ancient old question that people have been asking. What is the way to God? And is there only one way to God? The missions month in August, we were looking at different religions and the way people have been searching uh, for God and trying to find him. And you saw the different ways people were trying to find God by certain holy rituals to follow, by denying materialistic desires, um, by doing good deeds, by living good lives, and in that way trying to find God. And even today we still ask the question, is there one way to God? And here Jesus answers, he says, yes, there is only one way, and it's me. I'm it. I am the way. And that is so at the heart of the Christian faith. Only through Jesus is salvation, no other way. It's what distinguishes our faith. And, that all, and then also, this is the most inclusive statement, because only through Jesus, but it's, there, but it's for everyone. Anyone can come to the Father through Jesus. There are no requirements. There's not a checklist that you need to tick the boxes. There's no good life or a report of good behavior that you need to fill in. If you've given that, then you can come to Jesus. It's only through him. Now, what fascinates me about this statement, if you think about it, saying I'm the way, the truth, and the life, um, is that it's not a, the way is not a thing. It's not a road. It's not a map. The truth is not a book. It's not something you just write, read and then you know. Life is not a theoretical thing. The way, the truth, and the life are a person. It's in the person of Jesus that we have life. Verse 3, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to myself. And it, it tells me that God is all about relationship with us. The way to God is through a person because God wants to connect with us. He wants to know us. He wants to be in relationship with us. 
from the beginning in Genesis where God would walk with Adam through the garden. I, I love that picture because it's Adam was doing his thing, walking in the garden, and then at the end of the day, he would walk with God and it probably share what he did or point to the animals he'd been taking care of. I don't, I don't know. But that's the kind of picture God wants. He wants to have a relationship with us and walk it through life with us. And that's why Jesus himself came to say, I, want, I will go, I will be your way, I will be the light, so you can be in my presence again. And that just shows so much of God's character. So the context of this statement is where Jesus is reassuring the disciples he's going to prepare a place for them in heaven. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to myself. And Jesus is talking about heaven here. Now, last year we went on holiday to the Alps. And one day we did a little trip to uh, the Glacier Blanc. It's this big glacier. It's up 2,400 meters. It's a pretty steep climb. You go there and you, uh, it's an amazing view. So Daniel and I were going there uh, one morning. And as we got to the starting point, we noticed there were quite some people hanging around there. And we were curious. We're like, okay. I would think people were already going up the mountain, but everyone was kind of hanging around. And it turned out that to get to that beautiful big glacier, there was one thing preventing us from that, and that was a small but fiercely flowing river uh, flowing through. And there was a little wooden bridge over it that you needed to cross. But because of the water had been pretty, uh, the rain had been pretty bad, um, a lot of rocks had been come, had come with the water onto the bridge, and the bridge had been blocked. So as we were standing there waiting, this big yellow digger comes in, and one by one needs to remove all those stones to, get, to free the bridge so we could get over it. We could see the path going up the mountain. We could actually see the glacier, a little glimpse of that, where we would be going, and there was no way we were going to get to the other side until this little yellow digger got the blocks out of the way. Well, like the rocks blocking the bridge, making it impossible for us to get the other side. Sin is blocking our way to get to the Father's house. And that's why Jesus is saying he's preparing the way. And he says, I'm preparing it because the place isn't ready yet. And the place isn't ready yet because sin had not been atoned for at that point. Jesus still needed to go through death for us. He still needed to get, come out of death for us so that the way would become free for us to come to the Father again. The rocks still needed to be removed before the, the way would be open for us to come to the Father. You know this picture, right? The valley, um, you've probably seen one of these, right? It's the, there's literally a gap between us and God, us on the one side, God on the other side. And the cross of Jesus has literally become the bridge where we can cross over and come to the Father again. And I, It's something I realized when I, I was reading it that this, this Jesus saying, I'm preparing a place for you, is not just about when, when I go back to heaven and when I've ascended and when I'm going to come for the second time and bring you all to me, then he's preparing the place, yes. But it was also the reality at that moment for Jesus. Right at that moment that he said it, he knew, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
I'm about to go to that cross, and in 24 hours, I'm, I'm dying on that cross for you. It was the reality of that moment. He was going to die and, um, and raise through life for us again. And then he would come and take us to himself. And that just takes the story of, of heaven to another level for me anyway. I'm going to prepare a place for you that shifts the story from the place of heaven to the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, I'm going, I'm dying, I'm co- I'm, I want to prepare a place for you so you can come to me and to myself and be with me. It makes it that heaven is not so much about where heaven's going to be, and what it's going to look like, and if it's going to be on the new earth or on the new heaven, or if it's going to have golden streets or not. No, heaven is the place where Jesus is. It's his presence. And that makes all the difference. My father used to say, we know very little about what heaven's going to look like, but we know a lot about who we're going to meet there, and that's Jesus. John Piper um, says it really beautifully. I just want to quote him. The essence of heaven is the immediate presence of Jesus. So when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, the essence of what he's saying is, I go this night through death for you, and I go Easter Sunday morning out of death for you, so that I myself might be your living, dwelling place. Jesus wants to be our living, dwelling place, both now and and in heaven when we get there. Heaven is about his immediate presence. I I get excited for that. I hope you do too. So let's unravel the statement of Jesus a little further. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. First of all, the way. So what is the way to God? Um, At the time, if you would have asked a Pharisee what the way was, he would have pointed you to the law. The the law that they had been given by Moses um, consisted of no less than 600 rules to follow. Um, And the law had taught them that they needed to atone for their sacrifices, atone for their sins, sorry, by sacrifices, by offerings that they needed to bring. You could only be forgiven if you would sacrifice a pure lamb, um, and you wouldn't even be completely uh, forgiven for your sins, but you would be ceremonically clean so that you could enter the tabernacle or the temple. Only the high priest would go into the holies of holies where, the God, where God's presence was and ask for forgiveness of the sins of the people. So for the Jews to hear that Jesus is the way to the Father was a huge contrast to what they had been give, known through the law. Now the law had been part of the old covenant of God. The covenant that God made in the time of Moses to say, I'm your God and I will care for you and you will be my people, and you will follow me to lead a holy life. And there's a beautiful resemblance to that story, to the gospel stories. A lot of these stories have been a foretelling of the Messiah coming. Because God made a way out of the land of slavery into the promised land. God miraculously brings them out of Egypt and leads the way, literally, through the desert into the promised land. And in the same way that God leads the Israelites out of, the, out of slavery, Jesus leads us out of the slavery of sin 
into the promised land of God, the presence of God. And that way, Jesus becomes the way that for the Israelites, they had to walk through the desert. And where the people of Israel were under the old covenant, they needed to, the law to have their sins forgiven. Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant and become our high priest, making it possible for us to freely enter God's presence. Jeremiah prophesied about that in, uh, already in Jeremiah 31, and it's a beautiful part, and I want to read that to you. It really sets the, the picture very well. Jeremiah 31, 31 verse to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. They will all know me, and I will remember their sins no more. That's the covenant that we now live in. We can all come to the Father at all times. Beautiful, isn't it? Just a little side note on the way, just nice to know. This, this saying of Jesus was so key, saying, I am the way, that um, after he went away to heaven and he ascended, the, the Christ, first Christians, the first church, wasn't known as the church or Christians. They were known as people of the way. That was their, their name at first. So it was a very key thing that Jesus said, I'm the way. Now, because Jesus is the way, he's also the truth and the life. And Jesus being the truth, he reveals the Father to us. He reveals the truth of who he is and of who the Father is. The, the peace in Jeremiah said, I will uh, put the law in, uh, in your mind and I will write it on your heart. Ex uh, instead of having it on, on stone tablets like Moses had, the law will be written in our hearts so we can internalize it and make it our own and live it from the inside out, live God's law and live how we're supposed to live. And in John 14, later in the chapter, um, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. Jesus in us, lives in us as the truth, as the living truth. And then the way, because Jesus is the way, he is also the life. He is the everlasting life. And on the cross, Jesus became life for us. He gave his, he gave all he had. He had nothing else. He gave it all so that we may have eternal life. Now, and, and we get eternal life when we get to heaven. We will live forever with him. But we also get to experience a little bit of life now in this time, this age, through his spirit living in us. And we sometimes kind of 
experience a little bit of what it's like to be in God's presence already now on earth. We sometimes have God's presence of, with us, maybe in a service, maybe when you're outside in nature, when you're worshiping, and you sense, hey, God is present here, and you kind of feel alive. You feel the life of God in you. And it, it's beautiful descri- beautifully described in the Narnia stories. Do, who knows the Narnia stories from C.S. Lewis? Quite a few. Good. If you don't know them, read them. C.S. Lewis is, it has, is famous for some theological, theological books, but he's also wrote children's stories. And the first book he wrote, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's pretty much the gospel uh, wrapped up in a, in a children's fairy tale story. And it's, it's fantastic. I'm reading it to my kids now, and I think we're doing it the, for the third time consecutively, and they still love it. They want to hear it again and again. I want to read a little part of the story for you, because so, it, it describes it so beautifully. Now, to give you a little context, um, the book is about four children. They're entering, the, they're magically entering the land of Narnia, which is a fantasy land, and it's uh, under the spell of a witch. And because of that, it's always winter and never Christmas. Now, the, the creator and the ruler of Narnia is Aslan, and he's a lion. And um, Aslan in the story represents Jesus. Now, at one point early in the story, the children for the first time hear about Aslan. They don't know about him yet. They don't know who he is, but they hear about him, and and that does something to them. Here's the story. Mr. Beaver's voice sank into silence, and in a low whisper, he said, They say Aslan is on the move, and he might already be in the land. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment Mr. Beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it had enormous meaning. Either a terrifying one that turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or a lovely one just too lovely to put into words but it makes the dream so beautiful, you want to remember it all your life. And you always wish you could get back to that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Peter, the oldest, felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful music just floated by her. And Lucy, the youngest, got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and you realize it's the first day of summer or the beginning of the holidays. That feeling that you have that the summer has started, that beautifully beautiful piece of music that just floats by and you're like, I want to grab it, I want to hold it. That excitement that you can feel, a little bit of the life. Have you had a moment like that where you've experienced God in some way? I remember for me it was at the Opeking conference and it was back when I was 16. I've experienced God since then, but this was a nice example. Um, and we were in the youth tent and they were praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and when they, while they were praying, they were also praying for people uh, to be healed. And I was just standing there and I could sense that God was there. It was just, it just felt so right. It felt like this is how it's supposed to be. It felt... I felt peaceful, and I just sensed God's presence being there. It was an amazing feeling. 
Um, and I, I thought, oh, I want to stay here forever. And for me, it was a special moment because as the regular teenager, I had my few years of doubting and wondering if God was really there and if he was true. And for me, that was such a confirmation to say, yeah, God is real. He really is there. Those moments, they're glimpses of, of God's life in us where we feel alive, where we feel like life is like it should be. It feels like this is right. I hope you can say you also have those experiences where you experience some of the life of God in us that we will experience when we get to heaven. In Jesus, we have eternal, everlasting life. He's become the way, the truth, and the life for us. He's the way today. He lives in us with his spirit of truth, and he gives us life both now and in eternity. Now, this whole series we've been doing has been about revealing who Jesus is. Uh, revealing who Jesus is for us, his identity, him being the Son of God. And as the series closes, I want to ask you, have you, have you experienced that Jesus is, is the Savior for you? Has there been a point where you've said, I want to follow Jesus? If this is, God, if this is Jesus, if he's revealed himself like this, I want to follow him. I want him to be my Lord. Because you, if you haven't and you want to, this might be a moment. There can be one moment where you say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his footsteps. I want him to be my Lord as well. I want that everlasting life. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to follow you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Because everyone is welcome with Jesus. Everyone's included. You are also included because you're loved. So if that's you, just pray that to God. It, all you have to do is pray. And if you want to, we would love to pray with you. There are people from the prayer team there at that corner. Um, you can come to me or to Eric or to one of the elders. We would love to pray for you. If you want to say, God, I want to follow you. We're going to um, do communion in a minute. And that could be a moment where you say that prayer to God. Lord, I want to follow you. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And maybe you have made that choice. And during the offering, maybe during the communion, maybe think about someone that you know that you hope will make that choice and say a prayer for them. Pray that God will also reveal himself to them. And he might actually use you to reveal them. Amen.